We are back at it again. You are in the club, powered by Club Colors. I am here with Pete Durant today. This is going to be a show. Traveled all the way in from North Carolina. This man is on the go. Have you heard of Crucible Partners? Well, maybe you should. Have you checked them out on LinkedIn? Perhaps it's time that you do that. He's gone viral a few times. He's a thought leader. He's got unbelievable perspective, not only on recruiting, but what it's like to be a CEO and how to social sell to create attention and awareness. He is a brand guru, and he's got some stuff in the works with Alex B. Sheridan. We're going to get into a little bit. Maybe we'll just sprinkle a little bit of knowledge in there about that, but big things in the works. Pete, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. You know what? I just realized my podcast intro sucks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the first time I heard you do that, I'm like, I'm going to go run through a wall somewhere. <laughs> so good, John. So good. Good to be here, man. I'm glad we did this in the studio. It's, you know, it's, there's no other way to do it. Let's face it. The, uh, the virtual setting is really uh, efficient and effective, but the reality is to be in the room with somebody to share the energy yeah. is completely different. It's just like you were talking about on the tour. Yeah. You know, this whole hybrid atmosphere that we have makes for a better employee experience. It doesn't make for a better employer experience. It right. doesn't make for a better uh, culture, in my opinion. Um, so it's so great to have you here, have your energy here. And by the way, um, we are not brothers, although I would, I do look up to him like an older brother, but he looks younger. So what the hell's going on with that, Pete? You know, um, bald is beautiful, John. Bald is beautiful. You. It is. I walked in and I said, uh, I'm, I'm here for the podcast. And they were like, and you are? I said, well, I'm John's brother. <laughs> and they were, they were, really? Yeah. Yeah. All they had to do was take one look at the bicep and realize that that DNA does not match. That DNA does not match. You know, I, I, I like the tour because I haven't been in many offices yeah. since COVID. And you could feel the energy in the room, you know, people liking what they're doing. And you said, like, it's not quite as full as it used to be. But still, I think people like being around other people yeah. as much as possible. Yeah. And again, in this podcast type of setting, the reality is that to see the hand gestures and the, mm-hmm. you know, on, a, on the, uh, and you host the podcast, of course, um, uh, Eating Crow. Yep. Yes. Eating yep. Crow which is a fantastic podcast, but you know, from that podcast, it's tough on the, uh, on the virtual podcast to hit your timing, cl- timing spots. Oh, yeah. Like, especially if you have multiple people on, like, when do I talk in the in-person, you kind of get that feel for it. Yeah. I just oh. did one where, uh, the audio wasn't good. Yeah. And I think we're going to have to reshoot it. Cause we got done. I'm like, ah, we just can't, we can't use this cause it was just bad internet. Yeah. It was just bad internet connection. So this is the way to do it for sure. So tell us all about, uh, the, the current position, uh, as CEO at Crucible Partners, what's going on there. And, uh, if you could, I went on your webpage back up a little bit. how did we come about the name? I'm really curious about that. So, uh, in 2017, I merged my startup that I had started back in 2009. It's a, it was a health and fitness app, really cool product with another company out of Atlanta. And we had two of everything. We had two CEOs, two products. It was a great merger. The technical aspects were so complimentary, but I kind of lost the fire. Um, It wasn't a fitness company anymore. It was a different type of organization. So I stayed for about six months, helped do the integration, and then left. And at the time, I had a couple consulting offers, and and I needed a place to hold them, right? So I I thought, well, what do I want to help people with? Part is I like helping people get fit. Part is I want to help people learn from all the... Can I swear? All the, you could do whatever you want, brother. All the shitty things I've done and all yeah. the stupid mistakes I've made as a CEO. And I thought if I could just share some of those things. So crucible is a, is a mix between two words, crux, C-R-U-X, which is 
kind of like the, the main point of something. Yeah, like the crux of yeah the of crux the of the issue. matter. The yeah. crux of the matter, right? It's this it's this focal point, and then crucible is a journey you go through that is really pretty rough, but you come out the other side a better person. So I was trying to figure out what's the heart of the matter and how can I help people get through this crucible that they're in. So that's how crucible kind of. By the way, cruxible is the phonetic way. Yeah, yeah, to pronounce yeah. It. But for some reason, I've always called it crucible. So five years ago, in you know, it's where I do consulting, and then. Um, I was helping a buddy with a, one of his startups and I was really trying to build a sales team. So I was, we were doing a lot of recruiting and I just thought recruiting sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the resumes we were getting, the people we were getting were so off base. So I started doing it at night myself on LinkedIn. I just started, I'm going to figure out how to reach out to people. And I got kind of good at it. Like, and I, I didn't think I'd like it, but I liked the recruiting aspect even more than sales because you really get to know people. And I did it all one-on-one. -on -one. I didn't use any automation or any mass in mails. I would reach out to you like, hey, John Morris. Like, yeah. I like that vest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to talk, right? And it worked and, and people started to react to it. And just dealing with someone that's looking for a new role or a company trying to find the right person, it's like the sweetest spot when you get that lined up. So that's kind of what I do as my main revenue generator. Um, and, and I've got this other thing that I'm, that I'm doing with Alex that since comes out a week from now. We'll kind of tease some of that. All right. That's going to be fun. Ah, uh, yes. This is John Morris, host of In the Club, powered by Club Colors. I am so excited today to talk to you about our sponsor for this episode, SalesCast. SalesCast is the operating system for the B2B podcasting community of sales, marketing, and revenue professionals. They have an inclusive online community, courses, tutorials, events, guest matching, and even world-class managed production services. Their mission is to connect 100 million sellers to the power of story. Thanks again, SalesCast. Enjoy the show. You know, I look at recruiters, like effective recruiters, almost being like a super sports agent, right? I mean, so that's really what you're, what you're looking, looking to do. Now, what that means then for an athlete to get what they want as it relates to the, the shoe contract and, sure. the, and the, all the deals and the communication deals and the advertising deals is they got to put up on the field. Yeah. Right. So an agent's job ultimately is to take all of the things that you are doing that you're fantastic at and present that in the best light to yeah. find the match where those things will be highlighted and get you the best deal. Yeah. I find that um, it seems like in the recruiting field, the folks like you that really stand out have that partner intimacy where they're focused on the candidate and the organization that they're representing or trying to get that candidate into like a sports agent where they're trying to actually better the brand. That's really astute. I actually have that conversation with most of my candidates. Cause when we, when we get into the compensation and benefit discussion, I said, this is an unusual job where I, I have the opportunity to please both of you. Like yeah. I, both of you have to get what you want because if one of you is disappointed, I'm screwed, right? Mm -hmm. There's no one's going to want to work with me. So the company has to feel like they got the best talent available for the money they could spend. And the candidate feels like they had to be in a company that values them and is going to pay them appropriately. And I've always felt like those are just easy discussions. Yeah. Some people are like, well, just talk about it, right? What's your concern? And sometimes there's just not a match. Other times it's like, wow, we've really thread the needle here. So uh, it is fun to have those discussions. And, and rarely am I disappointed when I meet someone. Uh, normally, uh, it's why I started my podcast. I'm like, dude, you're pretty cool. Yeah. Like, like this is awesome. You got a great story and I get excited to sell it. Yeah. You know, what's interesting though. And I don't want to, um, I don't want this to be glossed over or yeah. folks to make light of it because the reality is that is a foundational principle driven purpose yeah. where you are looking at a deal 
as both parties have to win yeah. in order, and I'll win last. Yeah. Right? And I think that a lot of folks um, that I've interacted with that have that level of success think that way. Right. But there's a lot of recruiters out there, just like there's a lot of salespeople out there, a lot of marketers out there yeah. that are just trying to move through the transactional phase as fast as possible, and they're not considering that. Well, you know, recruiting, and one of the reasons I started this is I think it's a broken industry. I think the business model just plain sucks. Do resumes even freaking matter anymore? Resumes don't matter, but recruiting, just like you mentioned, has become a volume play, mm-hmm. right? So there are recruiting firms that'll do a retained search, which I don't like. You're going to pay me just to work. Yeah. Pay me to do a result. So the typical recruiting model is, you know, is contingency. But it's a strange idea that, all right, I'm going to post this job and I'm going to give it to five different recruiting firms because it'll just reduce my, you know, my risk. I mm-hmm. spread the odds out. I got a better chance of winning. Safety and numbers philosophy. It's the worst business model ever. And when I started explaining to people, they're like, no one's ever said that to me. It makes perfect sense. And here's the way I describe it. I will compete to win your business, but I will never compete to get paid to do your business. Yeah. And that's subtle. So um, imagine you're going to remodel your kitchen, John, Right. And your wife brings in five contractors and says, I want all five of you to remodel my kitchen. Materials, labor, time, expenses, and and opportunity costs. Like you're doing my kitchen, not someone else's. And at the end, I'm going to pick which one of the five kitchens I like the best, and they will get paid. The other guys are just screwed. That's, 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 That's contingency recruiting. Exactly. Guess what? Recruiters recognize that. So they play the numbers game. Um, not going to win here. Not going to try. Bingo. So if I got a resume that floated the wall, or I tell my buddies in the firm, you know, anybody that's got this, they throw me, I just yeah. throw it over the wall and hope I yep. get lucky. Cause I got a one in five chance of winning that deal. Yeah. So guess what? To win five deals, they got to have 20 slots open and they don't place literally 70 to 80% of the contracts they sign. They never fill. So I said, there's gotta be a better way. And when I first started talking to people like, well, that's not what we do. So I only do exclusive contingency. I mean, that makes complete sense because, again, that goes back to that intimate partnership. Yeah. And you're in that, um, that interesting spot where you are the go-between. Yeah. Right. And I said, if I don't place this candidate, I don't eat. Yeah. So we're very aligned. Hence, eat crow. <laughs> I don't, my, my family doesn't eat. So yeah. I, I'm, when I take this contract, you guys need to know I'm all in. Yeah. And most of my business comes from repeat customers. Because I just, I have a tendency to find people. I had, my record is I had a company looking for a role for eight months. Eight months they searched. I found the two candidates they finally interviewed in 12 hours and they hired one of them. 12 hours. And like, how in the world did you do that? And it's because I just got into the nuances of the role and started to find, ask a lot of, by the way, every recruiter says they do this. Mm -hmm. They don't. They they don't. They're just throwing something over the wall. I really got to know these people. And um, it, 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 again, it's fun to do that. It's fun to, to find something and solve a problem for a company. Well, when you have a social presence like you have, mm-hmm. right, and you're out there not only with the podcast but producing content on LinkedIn and creating that presence, there is a level of accountability that that holds you to sure. because you are getting a message out there and then you have to live up to that message. So I think yeah. um, it's not only a front-end thing, but I think it also helps you to get that brand message out there and to show the purpose behind it and then – you know, I think that, you know, one of our CEOs talks about discovered or find out, found out, mm-hmm. right? So if there are recruiters out there that are saying that they're doing what you're doing, but then not doing it, they will be found out sure they will. over time. And ultimately the market will wash them out. Yeah. And that just opens up the door for folks like you to give even more attention. Yeah. When a candidate gets a message from me, um, it is 100% meant for them. 
Yeah. So I didn't use an automation tool and they can tell like this guy did some homework Mm -hmm. and in our first conversation, you know, I can, you can learn so much about somebody from their LinkedIn profile enough to check a couple boxes, but until you talk with them, I've actually finished phone calls with candidates. Um, I I had talked to a young guy in Texas. It was at IBM and he told me what he, I said, what's your number, right? Superstar. Great. And he told me his number. I'm like, $300,000 is your number. I said, how old are you? He said, 28. <laughs> I said, dude, what do they pay you? And he told me. Yeah. And he described it. I said, never leave that job. He's like, what do you mean? I said, how many hours a week do you work? 40. And I go play softball at night. There's not a lot of people working 40 hours a week making 300000 that work for somebody else. Correct. And I said, just do this for 10 years. I said, are you stressed? He goes, no, I like what I do. I go, then why the hell would you? Yeah. You go work for a startup because you think it's sexy. They're going to pay you half this. They're going to work you 80 hours a week and maybe give you a couple, maybe give you a couple shares, right? With the promise. No, dude, this is your lifestyle right now is so impeccably good. And I'm telling you right now, the grass is not green. Now, if you tell me, I hate my job, yeah. I'm stressed. Culture sucks. Whatever. They yell at me all the time. The money's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> you're you like it. You're no <laughs> yeah. So I said, I'm switching from recruiter to dad mode. Like you should never yeah. leave that job. And then if you sock enough money away in the 10 years in your late 30s and you want to start a company, you've got your financial future secured, yeah. then go take that risk. But I said, I, 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 and he's a stud too. I'm like, I would love to have you, but I would be doing you a disservice if I actually took you out of this job. Well, that brings up an, another point. Why, are, why is the world so focused on the idea of change, change, change? I mean, I, you see the younger generation, especially... And I don't know that it's like a, um, a lack of loyalty. I think that, you know, human beings, if they find some place that they like, tend to be loyal. I think people yeah. see the good. But why are folks so fickle to want to change? Like the fact that that person would have even been looking. Yeah. Why is that? You know, I think he was curious. Um, I think I, whether I, his value existed other places. Yeah. I think he wanted to test it. I also think my hook got him right. He was like, yeah. I got to talk to this guy, which, you know, hopefully that's the case. But, um, you know, ha- having talked to thousands of candidates and employers, I think the reason we'll pick any generation, your, our generation, the younger generation would entertain leaving is they're just not finding any satisfaction in their current employer. Yeah. And you mentioned loyalty. There's very little loyalty on either side of the fence now. There really isn't. So your number, uh, times get tough. We're going to slash headcount regardless. I've seen it a thousand times. And by the way, as a CEO, I've been a CEO of several companies. Your job is to keep the company going. So you have to make some very difficult decisions. And there are companies that have enough financial runway or cash in the bank that they could stomach a downturn and keep some employees. But if they're public, they're not allowed to do that, right? You got to maintain margins, profits. So the pressures are real. These decisions have to be made, but it also means you can't expect loyalty because you're giving none. Um, now I think people are aware of that, but it gets all also down to, especially in this work from home environment, they're not connected to the culture, right? That's a challenge. It is. Now I went out in your warehouse. I saw the team. They got to be here to make sure to do shipping and production. So they have a feel of the culture and Mm -hmm. what it's like to be here and work from home. I'm neutral on it, right? I think it's great when it makes sense and it makes a lot of sense economically and productivity wise for a lot of roles but it doesn't for others. So these people that say, I will never go back to an office again. Give me freedom. I want to work mm-hmm. with my PJs. I'm like, quit bitching. Yeah. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? Cause the people that work in your hospital at the gas station, the grocery store that make all the goods that you use every day that produce, they car, go in, they have to go into an office and you pompous little arrogant shit 
are talking about how it's unfair. Well, there, without it, you don't have a life. Mm -hmm. So imagine if the truck driver that makes uh, America go yeah. decided they want to work from home. Yeah. How do we pull that off? Exactly. <laughs> so no, I, mean, I, mean, I get it. If unless their truck is their home. Yeah. If you're a creative person and you can do your job remotely, it makes perfect sense sure. to do that. But don't assume it's a right. And don't assume that a company is wrong for asking you to be in an office. It's, a, it's literally a privilege to be able to. I do believe it's yeah. a privilege to work from home. I do it. I love it. I have my own business. Um, when I was 25, I wanted to be in an office. I wanted to learn from the people around me. I wanted mentorship. So I, I, I think the reason people are fickle is they're not finding, um, and kids today, I think are more in tune to their emotions, uh, to work-life balance than we were. I mean, I got up, I granted 80, you just did it. Everybody did mm -hmm. it. It wasn't unique to me. Everybody just did it. Now I think they have, uh, and I think they're right. You know, having a, a, a relationship with your spouse and your kids and your family is important. I think they're looking for that. And a lot of companies are still a little behind in creating that kind of culture. Yeah. You know uh, what we, we kind of have a thing here where when everyone zigs, we zag, yeah. but what we're seeing is this, so many folks are going, okay, well our numbers didn't necessarily go down when folks went remote. Yeah. Folks seem to be, you know, enjoying it. So we're just going to stick with it. Um, but for a company like us that has to be very collaborative and we feed off of that energy, yeah. Our CEOs went, well, let's go out and get a state-of-the-art building where we give folks that could potentially work from home and be fine, yeah. but we give them an asset, an incentive, right. um, an environment yeah. that they want to come into, yeah. right? And so I think that there's a lot of companies that are going to downsize that, and I think the companies are going to stick with it. I think what they need to look at is completely redoing the inside of their building yeah. so that it is an inviting environment. So there is visual stimulations so that there is an environment, elite technology, cameras and content creation, yeah. spots and spaces for people to really uh, do those types of things. And I think that when, when that happens, you might see um, a better interest of folks coming back to the office. Yeah. I think employees are starting to recognize the ping pong table and bring your dog to work day. Mm -mm. Not sustainable perks. No, but um, the days of a, of a cube farm in a dark, artificial lit building not appealing. Yeah, um, and and that doesn't mean every company has the financial resources to build a new headquarters. Or yeah, do, sure. Do some of the cool things that they can, but certainly if you can walk into a building and feel an energy, you can look at the person next to you and feel like that's a person I can learn from or want to be around. Um, yeah, you'll want to be there. It's it, and again, it's back to the roles, it's the type of culture, and they have to see the leadership walk the talk. Mm -hmm. like when they walk the halls, yeah, do they really care? You know, are they are they hoping you succeed so that everybody succeeds? And that's hard. It's exhausting, by the way, being a leader in a company and trying to create culture at the same time drive the bottom line. I don't think people realize it's hard to do. Well, you've got a lot of faces that are looking at you that are all in a different spot in their life. They're all at a different spot in their career. They're all on a different level of success or failure. And what they, what they are expecting when a CEO walks through the room is encouragement in each one of those levels. What they don't realize is that CEO is also a human being, may have gotten off of a horrible call where their uncle passed, right. may have gotten an awful call where little Bobby got a C minus and he's an A student, right? right. You don't know. And so it is difficult for a CEO to have to kind of be a human, right? Because that's what we're all looking for. We want the CEO yeah. to be superhuman, right. like they got to be human. But, oh, by the way, don't be human when it comes down to, um, 
making sure that you validate me, making right. sure that you pay attention to me, making sure that you show the right energy. Yeah. That's a tough spot. Like you're kind of on an island there. You are. And, and I think if you're in the, by these are lessons from my past. I think if you can surround yourself with a leadership team and a management team and employees that complement each other. So, right. If you're the CEO and you have the luxury of bringing on other senior leadership, you want to make sure those people address your weaknesses, mm-hmm. which means you have to be aware of your weaknesses, which is pretty tough. And sometimes the CEO's job is to lead more than it is to manage. Yeah. And it's also to be the, the, the person that has to make some very difficult decisions. And then you have to communicate that to the team. So, you know, I've done, unfortunately, hundreds of layoffs due to economic downturns in big and small companies and, and just, by the way, poor shitty decisions. And you come from big part. corporate USA, right? Have, so where yeah. my, first, my first 20 years were in big companies. And then, you know, the last 15 you know, years have been in smaller businesses. So I've seen people do it um, because they had to. And I've seen people do it because, yeah, I, I, by the way, I'll tell you, talk about zigging and zagging. I've zigged wrong mm-hmm. and it's cost, it's cost jobs. Yeah. Right. And that's a tough decision to say, look, we made a decision. I'll own it. It wasn't a good decision. And unfortunately we've got to let this role go. And if, if people feel like you've been straight up with them the whole time, um, they may not be happy, but they respect it and understand it, understand it. Yeah. And, and those are, those are not pleasant discussions. Uh, I, those are probably the moments in my life I've had the most stress is when now I got to go to work and do something shitty like that. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? I asked my wife this last night. Do you wake up happy? Oh yeah. How? Um, and why I'm, I'm, uh, (laughs) I'm almost an internal optimist. Okay. So, um, without getting too deep, part of that comes from, uh, probably my prayer life. So I get up in the morning and I spend, you know, 45 minutes to an hour talking to God every morning. It's kind of formal and informal, whatever mm-hmm. it is, but it's, I kind of go through a, a list of things like, you know, wow, I'm pretty lucky dude, right? Here's some things I'm really grateful for. Like really, like I deeply think like, wow, I can't believe how lucky I am. And for me, it starts with my family, right? I have three great kids. I've got a grandson. Um, and I just got a really rich family life. Mm-hmm. And then I look at all the friends that I, that I've built over the years and, and I'm very grateful for those things. And, the, the, the people I've met through work. So I, I kind of start there. And then, then there's some either people in my life or myself that are going through a tough time. And I'll just talk to God and say, Hey, what, what can we do to you know, help them out? And, and so sometimes I think that's really centering, mm-hmm. but I'm, I never really approach those. There are times my wife will tell you where it, you know, there's 30 days in a month. I might have one where I'm kind of walking in a cloud and she can tell I'm just, yeah. I can't shake it. But the next day I don't wake up that way. It's very rare that I would have more than one day like that my wife and her family kind of came from the different, different perspective. So we balance each other out really well. She's, she's good about seeing, uh, you know, the emotional side and, and she will let sadness dwell for a while. Um, I don't, I process it, I dismiss it and I move on. And she's been good about saying, Hey, you know, don't be that guy. Let this sink in for a while. You need to. And, uh, and so it, it, we're very lucky that we kind of counter counteract each other. So we're all seeing it. I'm sure you're seeing it. Is there an economic crash coming? <laughs> I actually made that comment in a post today. Uh, I, I, think, I think we're in it already. I don't see a way around it. Um, I just think it's going to be a little bit more of a slower, drawn-out process. And you know, the fact that <clears throat> consumer behavior has continued to be positive is really amazing. It is amazing. Um, but, you know, when you see some of the layoffs that are out there, that's going to start to dwindle. You haven't heard about it yet because these people are still finding jobs. Mm-hmm. But when things shake out, it'll, it'll be tough. But, you know, I've gone through, you know, the late 90s when the dot-com crashed, 2001, you know, 9-11, that happened, 2008, 2009. I've been through all of them. 
I started a company in 2009, right? So great time to start. Great time to start a company. And I think that's, we'll get to, I think that's why Alex and I are doing this right now. I think it's mm -hmm. gonna be a good time to dig in and trench. Um, but you know, in any economic downturn, downturn, there are companies that are thriving and will still do well. Mm -hmm. You have to look a little harder. Um, and I think you need to be sympathetic with your neighbor, but it, it, it could be a tough year or two, but people will somehow get through it. How will, and this will lead us to the conversation potentially with Alex. Those of you listening, if you don't know who Alex B. Sheridan is, first off, uh, follow Pete on his LinkedIn profile because you're going to get an insane amount of thought leadership. And you know what's cool? He is not only fantastic as it relates to the posts and the content that he creates, but he's extremely supportive. If you support him, he is going to wholeheartedly support you back, which is going to help you with your mission as well. And it truly is a collaboration. That's the way he looks at it. Alex B. Sharon is perhaps one of the most creative people that I've had a chance to meet with. And um, I know he's dominating right now on LinkedIn. Yeah. His videos are fantastic and continue to grow. So that leads me to my question. How are companies going to get through this if the phones don't ring, yeah. if people don't answer the phones, mm -hmm. if budgets are cut, yeah. if your contact that you had, that you had the relationship with got terminated, yeah. if uh, half of your list of business gets swallowed up or, or goes away, how are folks going to separate themselves and differentiate themselves yeah. from the competition um, and what would be your best advice in that regard, having been through several different economic crises, but now in a new world of technology, a new world of social presence and all yeah. these different things, what would you advise somebody to do? So, uh, you know, I think the last three years, uh, being in recruiting or being in real estate were really good things to be in, Yeah, but it's going to come to an end. Yeah. So you have to be creative and, and you know, I want to have you on the show cause your story about what you guys did, right. When COVID hit yeah. and you pivoted, we'll talk about that later. I, I think there's there's three steps that I would recommend um, in any organization. Number one, um, you'll have to make some tough decisions, right? So you do have to look at your business and, and cut costs appropriately. But I always try to recommend companies don't go after revenue. Do not go after revenue leading activities. And people want to, well, you know, revenue is going to be down. Let's cut sales. Okay. That's a very self-fulfilling mm -hmm. prophecy. It's a slippery slope. It's easy to say, you, you know, sometimes you have a number you have to meet, but um, then I think you need to be creative on, and how well you go after and solve different problems. So you look at your industry and think, all right, we do these four things. What if we did this fifth thing? And who, 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 could, who could use that in this type of downturn to help solve their problem? So you have to almost think two problems ahead. And the other thing is, and this is going to sound horrible to people who haven't done this, if you haven't invested in your brand already and built content already and built a following already, you're screwed, right? Because you, you're going to go quiet and you're already far too quiet. Yeah. So any of your competitors that have built a brand and made some noise, and if they're authentic brands, like if their employees truly like working there, mm -hmm. and even in a tough downturn, know that their friend got let go and understand it and still believe in the brand, they will succeed. Because those people will come to you and say, hey, John, I think I've got an idea. And that might turn into something that saves the company. Or mm -hmm. So it, it's it, there's no one thing. Uh, I think you have to wake up in the morning and, and feel like you're, you have to lean forward. You can't go backwards, right? If you yeah. sit back and we'll just ride this out and you're done, you gotta be, yeah. you gotta be on the front lines and you gotta be on the front lines with your team. So everybody's got to pick up, I think a little extra slack. I love the idea of that, of leaning into it. And I had posted about that. Like imagine if every single person is like a, a company with 250 employees. Imagine if every one of them bought into the idea of supporting or 
becoming a content creator, yeah. no matter what the role is, just yeah. to give perspective from their role of how they impact the brand, yeah. how, what their experience is like, that actually would, you could take a, let's say a, a hundred million dollar company yeah. and give the appearance yeah. on online that that company is a $500 million company. Oh, yeah. And by the way, if you live like a $500 million company, when you're a hundred million dollar company, you'll become a $500 million company. Yeah. There are, there are people just, let's just take, pick the recruiting space that work for other companies that have built huge brands on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. right? Because they post thoughtful content. Some of it's humorous. Some of it is just thought provoking, but they found a niche and that, that I call personal brands the rising tide that floats all ships, which is the corporate brand. So if mm -hmm. you have a bunch of people in your company have created a personal brand, uh, everybody wins. What people don't understand is um, just draw, you can draw a bell curve around anything, right? So if you do a bell curve of your employee base, 20% of your people could do that comfortably, like create yeah, their yeah. own brand, like what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of people that can get on this podcast and, and create energy. There are people that could create content, but not necessarily the same energy. Mm -hmm. That's still good. Yeah. Right? But then there's people that won't. You have to accept that. Mm -hmm. And you can't force somebody to do something that's just unnatural to them. Because sure. they're, they're going to dread coming to work. They're going to dread doing it. They're going to hit every minute of it. But enough of those 20% of the people can make a difference. And, you know, I've used Refine Labs as an example of, of a company that's done this very well. You know, they had, they, they hired people who wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. And then they let them loose. Like, Chris Walker's yeah. a savant. He's a really smart guy. Um, there's and then Klauser is yeah, there too, Todd. Right? Todd uh, I mean, sick. Meg Bowen, <laughs> crazy. Jessica Williams. Yeah. I've had Megan in, on my podcast. Megan and Jessica, just they're they're thought leaders, innovators, and you know you don't necessarily have to agree with everything they're saying, but mm -hmm. they've got a stand. They got something got, to say. They've got a belief, and and they saw things change in B two B marketing well before other people did, mm -hmm. and they recognized that content would be king. The problem is, and I see this in in boardrooms and leadership teams all the time. There's no patience for it, mm -mm. right? Oh, well, why wasn't our marketing not up last month? Well, we started this 30 days ago. Right? Yeah. You know how long this it takes? takes? You, it's, you're building a community. Yeah. It, it's, takes, it takes a long time. It takes a year mm -hmm. before you start to see any kind of results. And people don't have the patience for it. But the depth and the quality of your brand recognition after a year is beyond any one-time flyer, brochure, or ad yeah. you could run. It goes way deeper. And now you've got people following your content. And because attribution is so difficult in digital marketing, you know, I could have seen a flyer you had in the mailbox. I could have seen a, a local TV ad. I saw a newspaper insert. Uh, and then I was searching for, you know, whatever it was and saw a side ad on, on Google or a banner ad. And then I wanted to buy that particular product and walked in the store. You have no idea what triggered that purchase. Exactly. So last touch. And there's no ask on it. No, there's no ask on it. Right? The person at the register is not going, hey, what, no. what did you see that brought you in today? And by the way, that's one of the biggest things that Chris and Refine Labs have said in, on a digital purchase or any type of interaction with the customer, how did you hear about us? Yeah. And, and typically people will tell you, well, it was a flyer or I saw a TV ad. And that, that gives you an idea. If you don't ask that question, you just don't. Well, I was know. seeing something this morning that Chris had posted essentially saying that, you know, like, some of the things that you just mentioned have like a 0.02 oh, yeah. return, right? So yeah. on a thousand, you're going to get maybe one yeah. or right. less, right? I mean, he was mentioning, you know, that the content creation and webinars, mm -hmm. the number was like 10, 15% to a thousand, yeah. right? So like a big difference, and that's hyperbole. I, don't, I can't remember exactly what yeah. the data was, but 
it's a big difference. There's a big swing where people are sick of just getting the subliminal messaging of just seeing this and seeing this and seeing this. And, um, and there's, it's not trackable. Yeah. It's not as nearly as trackable, you know, and he mentioned that their podcast has delivered their best leads mm -hmm. and it's because it's long form content. I can hear your opinion. Clips John. it, clips yeah. it, clips they, it. They snip it, micro content. But the other thing that's interesting, even, you know, we talked about my podcast, Eating Crow, which is, you know, it's, 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 it's not niche. It, it doesn't talk about my value proposition. Pete Rogan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just talked to really cool people. I've, yeah. I've done, um, uh, episode 50 is about to come out and I never would have thought I've got the 50 episodes. 25 is kind of like when people die and the yeah. podcast goes away, but I'm still very close to, to 40 or so of these guests that I had in the show. And they're, they're deep personal relationships that I can learn from. The only thing I gain from that is if someone is a candidate that I'm talking to for a job or an employer, I'm trying to build a relationship, they just go see that. They listen to one episode mm -hmm. and they go, I think I know who this guy is. And that's all, if that, if it just does becoming that, known. Yeah, that's it. It's a little credibility. I can see a little, your personality, mm -hmm. why you asked that question. If that happens, then the content was worth it, but I have no attribution to show that's true. Mm -hmm. Right. No. And th that is, a it really is brand attention, brand awareness, but it's not like marketing, gated marketing where yeah. you can essentially, right? It's, it's a different thing. Right. Um, the, the interesting thing about what you've said prior to that is the idea of kind of starting to think <clears throat> five, 10 years in advance of where is the market going to be? Yeah. I read a post yesterday. It made me think of my father, which any post that makes me think of my pops is a good post, but my dad used to always tell me because he heard a quote from Wayne Gretzky, right? That you skate to where the puck is going to be. So I played center field of baseball and he was always telling me, you know, it's all about the angle, right? If you're going to run it down, you got to run to where you think it's going to be. The jump's got to be on an angle where you think it's going to be. Yep. Then when I got into business, it's you got to sell to where you think the client is going to be, right? right? Mm -hmm. When you get into branding. And so the point that they were making is um, what they're doing as an organization and what they're marketing towards right now is not skating to where right. the puck is going to be right. right now is the time to start talking about mm -hmm. where, um, your market, who is going to be your market and yeah. start talking to them now. Yeah. That's what Chris Walker has been so great about. And that's why they figured that they started talking about this two, three years ago before I think people really bought into it. Yeah. So you had made that point, which is why now you're transitioning to this additional uh, organization with Alex B. So let's talk a little bit about that. Where are we, where are we going? Let's little sprinkles, just little, uh, just a little bit. So we'll tease it out. Obviously Alex is a video savant, right? Mm -hmm. So video will be involved. Um, but what, what Alex has been doing for a couple of years has been telling people how powerful video can be. And he, he, like a lot of people who are discovering a new medium or trying to find their way, he went through probably, you know, five or six different versions of what he was talking about. And about six months ago, he put out a video that's kind of his new format now, his new structure. And it, it like hit me upside the head. I'm like, dude, you nailed it. Mm -hmm. We need to talk. So, um, we've been talking for about five or six months. I had an idea for business. He said, I'm in, let's do this. And when we first met, we, it was just a lot of mutual respect. He's, you know, he's 20 years younger than me. He's got a lot of energy. He's by the way, he's extremely intelligent. I mean, I, I don't think very intelligent. he's very creative, right? super creative, but he's also very smart. He's off the chart, smart. His instincts are really good. And he's, he's a, he's also a super good human, mm -hmm. like to his core, he's a good human. And I, that's a big part for me. So we started machinating on the idea I had, and probably we met weekly for a couple hours just to go through it. And after about literally two months, we banged around and 
changed the idea. And finally, I, I looked at him. I said, this is a shitty idea. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> like, I, it's a really cool idea. It's a cool technology. It's novel. Nobody's doing it the way we wanted to do it. Yeah. But we realized the market wouldn't be big enough. Like the, the buyer that we'd have to get would have to be in such, we'd have to thread it's the needle. such a niche. Thread the needle yeah. on the timing of when they would find our service valuable. And we both kept on coming back to some things we were doing that were really effective that there was no solution for. We were kind of working our way around this. And we almost said at the same time, and I'm like, that's the problem we need to solve. Yeah. And he's like, exactly. Now he'd been doing it um, and he's got some data on how he's been doing it effectively. I've been doing it as well. And I've been tracking some things and, and just gathering some stuff. So we sat down and, and kind of, once that happened, you talk about energy in a room. We just, mm -hmm. he came down to Raleigh. We sat around and just, we, we got it to the point where like, this is it. Developed a functional spec, put it in front of a couple people who seemed to really like it. <clears throat> and we've got a couple investors and, and dev teams lined up to build it. And then we had to go find a brand, right? And we wanted a verb. And we found one and we got really, we're really, we're fired up about, about fired yeah. up about this brand. Can't be more excited. Um, can't tease it out just yet because we, we literally like, we want people to Google this. Like, yeah, yeah. go Google it. That is it's, what we're doing. Yeah. And we, we, we found yeah. one where you become, where the name of the company becomes an actual verb. We're the verb. Yeah. yeah. And um, we really like, by the way, this is going to play so well into Alex's creativity with video. When we start promoting this thing, it's going to be freaking hilarious. People are going to gravitate. We already know some influencers that we want to talk to about this that will help. The other thing that we like about it is when we, when we help companies do what we're going to help them do, their customers will actually appreciate it. Yeah. Which is very unique. It, it won't be like, Oh great. Another one of these. It's going to be like, wow, that's really cool. So we're excited. And again, we're, we're one of the partners we're talking to is going to help us figure it out. Like we're going to go to them and say, here's this idea. There's a problem we want to solve. Let's figure it out together. And they'll, we expect to get smacked in the face. Like that's not going to work. This will work. And we'll get to the point where we have nailed, we want to nail product market fit. That's our goal. Yeah. If we can nail product market fit, then we'll be patient and scale it. In the club is powered by club colors. Club colors is the premium marketing solution for all branded apparel and promotional products utilized to drive your brand awareness and brand success from concept to doorstep. Club Colors can source over 9 million different product solutions, decorate your logo, create custom kitting solutions, manage all logistics, and build, manage, and curate your company online store. The full, comprehensive, all-in-one solution for your brand. Our brand promise is right solution, right place, right time. Allow Club Colors to create an inspiring brand experience for you and your team. Check us out at www.clubcolors.com. So we have seen influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. Do you see, if we're going to talk about skating to where the puck is going to be, yeah. do you see a chance or a likelihood or a potential that there becomes influencer sales, meaning business development teams? Now, obviously, account management is a different type of sale. Yeah. You're taking the client through the process and making sure from start to finish that there's right. a deliverable. That door opening process, mm -hmm. that SDR type process, that or that big business development sure. enterprise level. Do you see there being teams of influence sales in large corporations where maybe there's multiple podcasts at a corporation that are hosted by multiple salespeople talking about those things, lead generation coming off. Instead of setting up a demo, you bring the person on as a guest. Right. 
Yeah. That type of stuff. So uh, the answer is yes. I think some of that's happening right now. So smart companies bring on potential customers as guests. Mm -hmm. I think if it becomes too diluted, they'll start to see through that. Right? Yeah, yeah. So your show has to be, has to be something they want to be part of uh, and it has to be personal. Um, the idea of influencer, I'll call influencer sales, as you just described it, is true. Every experience I have with your brand as a potential customer has to be good. Yeah. Right. I also take a lot of credibility when I, when I talk to other customers or I hear other customers talk about it. That's where, that's where the credibility comes mm -hmm. from. So influencers in our mind are people that have large audiences of our potential customers and who have some, um, some trust, right? So there are people that are in their, their club, so to speak, trust them. Mm -hmm. So if they say, I think this is pretty cool, it goes a long way. Yeah. Um, and I think getting to that takes a long time. You have to have some street cred. There's got to be some credibility. I also truly believe that you have to own some shit. So, um, my son called me on my way here and, um, uh, He's, uh, he's interviewing for internships. He's, okay. a, he's a junior at Elon play soccer there. And he's kind of, he's, he's living his dream, best life right now. They made the playoffs or the number one, they won the conference. So they got, they're going in trying to one of our clients, by the way, Elon university. Perfect. Trying to win. Uh, they, they won the CA trying to win the tournament and trying to get an NCAA berth. So they're very excited, but he's also trying to find an internship next summer. So he said, dad, I, I, I had a really good interview this morning with a private equity firm. And, and, and I said, how'd it go? He goes, well, I'm not sure. He goes, at the end, he asked me three questions, and I think I crushed the first two, but I just shit the bed in the <laughs> That sounds like my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I told him, I said, well, what happened? And he goes, he goes, this guy asked me a question about um, determining enterprise value of a corporation. He's in finance and accounting. And he goes, I thought I knew the answer, but the way we worded it in school was different. It was total value versus enterprise value. So I looked at the guy, and I said, you know, um, I could try to make up some answer, but I don't think I really know. So I'd rather have you tell me so I can learn. That's a great freaking answer. And I was like, holy proud dad moment. Yeah, I was like, dude, you said that? He goes, yeah. I said, it's freaking awesome. Hired on the spot. And he goes, so the guy told me, he goes, well, enterprise value is when you take this. And he goes, oh, you subtracted debt. And then he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, that's the answer. And Sammy goes, well, I, I wasn't sure. So we would look at that as total value, but I get it. And the guy goes, oh yeah, perfect. I said, Sammy, You've got instant credibility by saying, I don't know. Teach me. Sammy, you also deified the interviewer. Yeah. You actually cr turned the interviewer into an expert. Yes. Which sends dopamine to their brain mm -hmm. and making them go, oh, I like Sammy because he made me feel powerful. Bingo. There is such a strength to that. I had talked about this uh, and I did this for years in sales. Yeah. My best sales were the ones I failed on the call. Yeah. Because I would say, before I leave the call, thank you. I know we're not doing business today. I understand that's not going to happen. Sometimes it's timing. Sometimes it's just not a match. But before we go, can you do me one favor? They're like, what am I going to do you a favor for, right? Kind of a thing. Yeah. They go, can you teach me something that I should know so I'm better prepared for my next call? Yeah. And literally like 80% would go, absolutely. Yeah. Let me tell you what's going on in the market. Here's probably where you need to go. I'd wait three weeks call them back. But the callback could be, thank you so much. The advice you gave me helped me land another client. Thank you. It was absolutely brilliant advice. Yeah. By the way, I think I know how to solve your problem now. Now I got the door open again yeah, in the follow-up. Sammy, you're brilliant. It's such a good thing. Plus, I, he uh, he shaved his mustache before today's call, which I think was really good. That's a good idea. He was rocking an 80s yeah. mustache, Sean. That was yeah. epic. Great for TikTok brother, not great for the, uh, the old interview process and, and with the, the investment banking firm. And the only, <laughs> only reason he shaved it, he kind of screwed it up while he was trimming. He's like, Oh yeah, oh, it's got to go. 
Yeah, so, like the, the scar mark in there. <laughs> he FaceTimes me, he goes, you notice anything different? I'm like, oh, shit, you should yeah. just dash. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so it was, I'm glad he did it on his own, because I was like, hey, buddy, you might want to. Yeah. You might want to think about that, but you got to do it on your I'm own. I'm getting so many dates, though, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wasn't buying that. By the way, yeah. here's a classic. I'll have to send you this picture. He found a picture of me in the 80s from my yearbook oh, somewhere my on the internet, and he recreated the picture and sent me side by side like Father Lex. No kidding. Yes, I'll send it to you. That's very what cool. What really pisses me off is his mustache was way better. Way better. Way better. Well, he's got he's got good DNA. Apparently not from you. It's yeah. from your wife. 100%. It's your wife's side that is the mustache growing side. Yeah. Apparently. Italian. <laughs> that, well, that explains it. That explains it. So you write a ton of content and I had asked you like, what is the process going to the content? How do you do that? Yeah. And... It's amazing when I ask this question to so many different people that I admire on LinkedIn, there's a different answer. Some will tell, I take two days. I really write it out. I throw it through Grammarly. Yep. You're like, no, nah, man, top of the head, how I feel. Probably going back to that question I asked you about, do you feel happy when you wake up in the yeah. morning and you go to the yeah. spiritual thing, which helps you to clear your mind? Yeah. And then the neurons and electrons and everything is shooting in the brain and it goes right off to the top of the mind. So. Yeah. Walk us through that process. I know it's top of mind, but like, do you just grab a topic and go? Is there is there an outcome, and then you reverse engineer to the outcome? How like how are you? How do you write that? So you're right. I, I'm I get the I get different answers and see different thought leaders on how to do this. Right. The most common I see is block your content. Right. Like, block out five posts, sit down and write them in a block, and then I can't do that. Like I yeah. can't I can't come up with five different. I come up with maybe five different topics, but I can't write five. I'm just so hypercritical of myself when I do that, that I won't post any of it. It doesn't feel like a natural thing for me. So yeah. that, that process, while it is really good for some people and very productive, I don't get into a natural flow. Yeah. So it, it definitely my posts when I, in, when I'm in that construct, they feel contrived. Yeah. So, uh, I'm giving away my secret here, but I, I do, um, like I said, I do about 45 minutes to an hour of kind of thoughtful meditation. And then I get into LinkedIn in the morning. I used to, when I went to an office, I worked out first thing in the morning. Got it. Cause no other time of the day could I do it. I've discovered when I was starting work from home, that's actually my most creative time. Like I can have a cup of coffee and go for five hours and just be in deep, really productive time and then work out in the middle of the day where yeah. I need to kind of regen. So I get, I get on LinkedIn. Um, there's people I like to follow, engage in their content. Part of it's like you, like you're, John, some of the stuff you're putting out. I'm like, yeah, this is really good thought leader stuff. It's branding. And then I try to find one or two people a week that I haven't followed content yeah, yeah. for and try to engage with them. If you do that right, I will pick up different thoughts or trends or ideas from other people's content. I never try to copy it, but I'm like, well, that inspired a thought. Yeah. And then sometimes it's literally something happened to me that night before three days ago or a week where I actually made me make a note and said, holy shit, I got to write something about that. And then I literally in real time, start a post, write it. And then I hit, I just hit go. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't worry about if it's grammatically correct or perfect. Um, I try to make, write sure how I, you talk. Yeah. I try to make sure it's yeah. legible. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's not in crayon. And probably once or twice a week, I will write a post and go, shit, that sucks. And I'll yeah, just yeah. delete it and say, that's, that's horrible. Like I had a thought, and when I write it and read it, I'm like, that's just, there's no use to that post, Pete. It sucks. Mm -hmm. Then I got to dig deep and find something different. So honestly, today, it's funny. Today's post was based on a conversation I had with Alex yesterday. Mm -hmm. And that was today's post. And, you know, sometimes, and we talked about this earlier. Sometimes, you know, I, I wrote a post probably two months ago. And John, I'm like, I hit Best post. ever. Like, this is the, this post is freaking. I have just owned LinkedIn. Like, this is so <laughs> meaningful. Yeah. And I, 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 I felt strongly about it. I thought it was current. 
I really liked it. And the algorithm just kicked me in the balls. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I got, I got average likes on it, average yeah. follow comments, whatever. And for me, um, I don't, by the way, I, I had to, I had to, I think years ago, I was really concerned about likes and followers. I don't care. And by the way, when people say that it's not cliche, like you have to stop caring. You have to stop caring. You have to stop caring. So I set a goal. I'm going to, I'm going to post every day, January 1st, 2022. I'm going to post every day. I don't post on weekends, but every weekday I post every once in a while, I'll throw a Saturday or Sunday post when something moves me. But, and I had a goal to get a certain amount of, you know, kind of impressions to find out if it's actually registering, but I had to take a year long view. Like don't look until the end of the year. I will double my goal, which is kind of cool. But I look more for how many comments do I get as a percentage of the mm-hmm. views? Like, are people engaging? Um, I had one post where a couple of people came out and said, dude, you are freaking wrong, right? I loved it. So I yeah. engaged them. Like, why Teach you, me something. Yeah, why do, you way? why do you feel that way? And yeah. by the way, they came back like, here's why I feel. I'm like, shit, that's a really good point. And, you know, there are some people you, I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I'm not the most, I'm not, I'm not going to offend people. I'm not taking, that's not my stance. It's not my thing. I'm not out there just to create havoc. Um, but I do like it when people challenge it and, sure. and think about it. So it's, it's kind of a real time process for me. I don't know if that makes sense for a lot of mm-hmm. people, but it works. You know, it's interesting. I have a similar, uh, thought process to before I write or, or record anything, I'm typically on looking at the people that I admire or looking for other people sure. that I haven't interacted with or folks that I think would be a good potential partner with club colors. Yeah. And I read their posts or watch their video and then typically it's my comment on their post that actually stimulates yeah. my creativity to create a post. Yeah. So in many cases, um, and I know that LinkedIn provides you with something where you can go take your comment and turn it into a post. I never do that, but sometimes I'll comment and I'll go, okay, well, I think that added value. And then based on the reaction to that, then I might determine if I turn that into a video. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I work in a very similar fashion. I've heard this whole concept of batching. Yeah. And I think the batching idea is a really good idea for marketing departments to create right. efficiency and effectiveness. Right. I'm not so sure that it works effectively for personal brands right. where, that really need to get into that into that flow right. and just kind of like, this is the thing I'm going to talk about. This right. is what I feel today. Right. It has much more feeling, less contrived. Whereas a marketing department, I think, does need to schedule it out, yeah. create a library, have batching. Well, and if they're doing it as part of a, a, a broader multi-channel, omni-channel approach, then they've got to try to figure out if I put this out today, combined with this search ad or this display ad and this other post on Instagram. So they got to be conscious, like, are they building a yeah. trend? Are they building towards uh, an event or something? So yeah, the marketing has to think a little bit broader. They have to skate where the puck's going to be. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. I'm not skating where any puck's going to be. No, I'm skating where the puck, you know, probably yeah. was. I'm at goalie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just taking the hits. Right. So I, it's funny. I, I've I've become I've come to appreciate people who have found their calling and their message and have doubled down on it. Right? We talked about Steve Schmidt who broke the gong here. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a new gong, Steve. Yeah, and I hit it. I I I was warned. I saw the gong damage before, and I thought I can't I can't do that. Well, I mean, you got a running start <laughs> still, so that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I took it seriously. The two front flips into like a round off and then hitting it. That was fantastic. It's louder than I thought. We, well, the drop ceiling got in your way, but it was good. It's louder. Um, but Steve's really, he's, you know, after starting, he had a great post. Literally, I come in on this morning where he interviewed 147, applied for 147 jobs, didn't get one. Mm-hmm. He started his own company. Yeah. And when he first started talking about sales and his approach, you can tell both on his videos, you can tell in his writing he's a believer. Like he believes that this approach works and he can prove it. And then 
he built a company to do just that, yeah. merged in with CellX, and now they're even taking it up. And I believe his product, his process, his dashboard, by the way, if you've ever had a chance to look at it, at CellX is ridiculous. Yeah. The data. Yeah, I heard I, it's like the the cutting edge. So good. Dean Glass and, and uh, so good. Steve but Schmidt teaming up. Tony Albrecht's a guy that just kind of got started. Um, I, I, I had him on my podcast, and, and you know, I said, Tony, when we're done, I want to I want to stay connected with you because he's a deep thought thinker. He's been through some shit. Perfect eating crow guest, but he's found his calling in writing, which is hard. Like when you're in a creative world, people don't understand what the value prop is. Like I read it, it was good, but he's figured out how to get people to understand, and now he's actually started to form a business as a result. Of yeah, that. right. So, like with you guys with brand, right? Brand is such a it's so broad. It's a broad term. That has been the hardest thing. Yeah. We're building a following. Yeah. Is, I mean, we've got 9 million different products. Do you want me to take a picture of 9 million different products and different colors with different logos? Like who, nobody wants to see that. Yeah. And pr promo is trinkets and trash in the mindset of most people. Like it's, it's throwaways to us. It's not, it's a marketing solution yeah. that creates awareness and attention. But from the standpoint of content, like, is there a lot of people that want me to write about the impact a keychain had that had a flashlight on it? Like, I don't know that that is really yeah. going to hit. So it's got to be about the more grandiose idea of branding, yeah. about the idea of creating a feeling, about the idea of creating awareness and attention and how they all holistically work together. And if you've got that machine, it creates a momentum yeah. that builds culture, builds a recruiting pipeline, drives leads, demand, all those different things. So it's been interesting to kind of try and find the pocket. Yeah. Whereas as a recruiter... It's like you're breaking down specific, a more specific niche. Yeah. Um, there's variations that you can build off of, but there's a more, a more um, succinct yeah. topic that you're talking about. A candidate can relate because they're trying to find a job. They yeah. emotionally connect with it. A hiring manager can try to, they're trying to solve a problem. So yep. hopefully you're the person that bridges that gap. Yep. You know, with brand, particularly when you're in an in, in event-driven space or an activity, like there's something going on in this company or this university that requires some sort of branding. Um, for me, it's it's what problem are you solving? And that's right. You got to do a whole episode on what you did during COVID and how you got yeah. the team together. Um, by the way, I, I don't want to give away the story. This, this is your we're going show. on. Well, no, we're 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 going on uh, eat, eating crow oh. to tell the story. But if you if you want to talk about the story, feel free because that, that means it was a good tour. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll tee it up right now. We're going to drill deeper into it. But right. you know, John's walking me through the tour, and he talks about you know when COVID hit, and this is a business that's driven on people being in public places. Yeah, right? events, trade shows. Events. Yeah, <laughs> shut shut off. Right. Yeah. You could close the doors in that situation. Like, it was close. Yeah, it was it was really close. But you said you got the team together, and it was like I said, compared it to like landing the Apollo, right? Holy shit, something's wrong. Get some duct tape, coat hangers. You guys get them and figure this shit out yeah. right now. And you said you came up with like nine or ten ideas, and one of them was this idea to help universities handle virtual graduations. That's right. So John's got this table in the back in the warehouse that shows all these different cool boxes with different university logos on where they created a unique experience for every university. And there was something in there, multiple things in there that were unique to that university. And when you open it up, it had this, even the feeling of how the box opened, right? Slow release box. Yeah. Like, like when you get an Apple product, open, yeah. you just, just go. We wanted people to keep the box. Yeah. And the box, by the way, the boxes are there. They are collectors. Yeah. I would never throw that out. Even the underside of the cover yeah. is incredible. And you, you had, you said you had this moment where you did it for Northeastern, right? Mm -hmm. And then you got a call from Northwestern and she said, the Dean just said, we're going virtual. I don't know what the hell to do. Yes. 
and you got your we walked the laptop back to the warehouse and we were actually kidding northeasterns people standing there with rubber gloves on like putting you know hat tassel diploma program promotional products and just piecing them all together and and like conveyor belt and i showed her on the zoom call now we've got our co-ceo on one of the division managers on and we're all we're all talking and literally she was like oh my gosh that's it. That's it. You guys can do that. Yeah. And then you got a couple more. And then this proof of concept allowed you just to go. By the way, t- I got excited. I'm like, that is an episode we're having yeah. on the show because so many companies, back to your earlier question about how do you how do you see around corners and look at the five year. If you can do that in one day, that's a, that's a case. By the way, that's a Harvard case study. Yeah. What you guys did right there is a Harvard case study. You identified a problem and you mentioned the other nine ideas didn't work. Well, for the record, the 10 ideas that were come up with, the nine that didn't work yeah. were mine. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's the eating crow. The so. smart people came up with the really good ones. Yeah. Our co-CEO, our marketing department, they came up. I was like, this is never going to work. <laughs> and then I go on podcasts. I'm like, I had the best idea ever. Yeah. And the reality is I, I probably wasn't even in the room. I just showed, I showed Northwestern what, what the smart people had come up with. I mean, just the fact that you created the right touch of the material. The, yeah. the, and you mentioned that everything in there was thoughtfully placed, right? It wasn't just yep. throw it in a box and be done. I, it's funny that, that that was a thing because my son, uh, my oldest son played soccer at NC State. And he graduated in 2019, had a great senior year, graduated in December. So he goes into the working world in January 2020. At the end Jeez. of the year, yeah, in commercial real estate, by the yeah. way. Yeah, a shit show. But they have uh, the Wolfies Award. It's like the it's like the ESPYs for NC State. Yeah. It's a big university, right? And he won a couple of awards. And they did it all virtual. So it's that one of the TV stations it's is broadcast. It's the same feeling. It wasn't the same feeling. And he won the Heart of the Pack of the Award, which is like the highest award they give yeah. an NC State athlete. And I looked at him, I'm like, shit, dude, did you know you were going to get that? He goes, no. And, you know, like three or four weeks later, he got a call to go pick up his Wolfie, where it was really cool. It's a big wolf on this big, this big trophy wolf. But there was no tactical, it, was, it just felt empty, right? There was a big picture of him on the TV. It was kind of cool, but there was no connection to the other people in the room yeah. or the physicality. Now, had that shown up in a box the day the awards were happening, and it said, Vinny, open this at 9.53 p.m. That's what was happening. Right. Open this right when this is happening. Can you imagine what our family would have done if you'd opened that up? Big time. It would have been so cool. And that, to me, when you're talking about what you know, Club Colors does, it's connecting your brand to someone physically. And that's, that's when people start to realize things are different, right? This is... When we... One of the companies I worked at, they're like, well, we should just give people... Our, you know, let's, give them, let's give them a thermos give our employees a thermos and appreciation. And they went and first thing looked up was the biggest knockoff brand. I said, guys, if you give them the $5 thermos that won't keep their coffee cold. And nobody comments about it. And no one comments. They're going to know that's how much they really, you really, mm-hmm. I said, we're going to give them freaking Yetis engraved with something cool. Yeah. Like that's $35. I like go. a nickname, like their nickname or their core values. Like we have three pillars. So yeah. one of the things our CEO did, we all have journals. So this is, uh, and it's starting to wear off, but you can see that my, my pillars, my personal pillars are engraved in this around You're the Club Colors logo. Me. And so when I'm done with this journal, I can take it out and, and just it again. redo it again. And that's a nice piece so of leather there once too. You, once you're in the management team, you get one of these. And our CEO literally, 
he buys them and he's got like a little laser thing in his house in his basement. He's, he's crazy. He does all kinds of weird stuff, but he, he engraves it. He goes, what's your, what's your three pillars? Now it's not just, it's not just the, the product. Yeah. What it is, is getting management to think along the lines of having three pillars. Mine are mindset, behavior, technique, right? And so each manager has their three pillars. So when they take over a team, that team adopts those pillars. Those pillars. Now, those pillars obviously have to be kind of consistent with the overall club sure. colors. But that's how you use a promotional product. Well, the other thing is the fact that he went home and put this on his laser etcher and did Correct. it himself. Right? You know he listened to you. Mm-hmm. There's something meaningful. When, when we used to meet in person, I would bring a, a paper notebook like that, a journal with me. And when someone would say something wrong, I'd write it down. And then sometimes I'd have to, so it wasn't, I'd say, hey, John, hold on a second. That was really good. I'm writing it down. Yeah. I deified you. Exactly. Right. And he said, that was important, John. And then at the end of the meeting, I go back, hey, here's three things I heard you say. I want to make sure I get them These right. are the three things. Right. Yeah. Is that right, John? Did I get that accurate? No, Pete. Oh, perfect. Thank you. And now today is I have to do that in email afterwards, right? Hey, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I have a separate screen up and I go, if I'm looking over here, it's because I'm taking notes on what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, because don't, don't be afraid. If I'm looking over there, I'm actually taking notes. And if you send that back and recap, and by the way, need payoff. Steve Schmidt has some really good thoughts on this, by the way, mm-hmm. what he does and how he uses video and some other things really effectively. It's such a lost art. I mean, again, bell curve. There are very few really good salespeople out there. Yeah, there really is. And, and it, it, it really is. Uh, it's a shame that some of the art forms like you're talking about is, is kind of like spin, yeah. right? Situation, problem, impact, need, payoff. What yeah. you're talking about is you've got all the situation, all the problem, all the impact. You've written it all down. Yeah. Needs, wants, all those different things. And then what you do is you repeat it back to the client. Mm-hmm. Indicates that I listen to you. 100%. It um, is said in your words, mm-hmm. um, which actually in sometimes when you say it back to somebody in your own words, it makes them sound better. Oh, yeah. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then third, um, you say, so after you read it back to me, you go, did I get all that right? And they say, yeah, you got, you got, that's pretty damn accurate. You go, so tell me what your life would be like if these three problems were solved. Yeah. Right. And then they tell you what it's like. Now, all of a sudden they're like, oh, please that's what my life would be like. Please solve this for me. Yeah. I don't know if I can solve it, but I'm going to do my very best. I'm going to fight and I'll come back to you. If I can't solve it, I'll tell you right. if I can, if I come back to you and say I can solve it, it means I can solve it. Right. Yeah. And not a lot of folks do that anymore. They don't. And, and again, you know, if you're selling a transactional thing or a, that's not, as, box, important. not yeah. as important, but if you're selling a solution, it's important. And by the way, the people that really love sales, want to sell the big ticket, gnarly, mm-hmm. nasty solutions. Yeah, yeah. They, they want to get into the mix and it's a different, it's a different, it's a longer sales cycle. Uh, it can be really frustrating, right? A lot of egos. Yeah. But when it, when it hits, it's it, juicy. It's big. Yeah. yeah. It's big. Yeah. So, um, the whole idea of, uh, that you talked about with th- that event driven, that brandy experience, yeah. um, where do you see that? Where do you see that going? Um, as it relates to well, maybe maybe a better question would be, how do you think companies are going to combine that with their onboarding process, their recruiting process? Where are you seeing that? Where do you see companies failing at that or making a mistake? I know we have an opinion on that, but yeah. um, are you seeing companies doing more than just the recruiting with the fantastic package, yeah. the financial package? Are you seeing that they're creating a better point of entry and onboarding experience? Uh, unfortunately, no. Um, and I think it depends on velocity, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on how long the company's been around and if they have a structured, formal, um, what I'll call talent development thought process. So I, I actually uh, had a woman comment in one of my posts this morning. I sent her a note back and I said, thank you for this comment, but more importantly, thank you because your headline said talent development lead. That's her job. Yeah. No, no actually it was talent and people ops. So this company- I see that more of the people ops. I like that. Yeah, and but she had like talent and people are the center of our organization. Mm-hmm. Right? She's a leader. My guess is they have an onboarding process. They have um, some branding that goes along with it. You know, a lot of mid-sized, smaller companies don't afford themselves that luxury. So you join a small company virtually, particularly a lot of small software companies. Everybody's virtual. And your first day is an email from the CEO saying, welcome to the company. Yeah. And then you're maybe in a stream of calls with different departments but by the way, doing an onboarding virtually is exhausting. I did it during COVID. And we to put together the calendar and make sure all the right people were lined up. Have to, to be there. And they're all mid-level managers or managers. Yeah. Or peers. Uh, or peers or, peers, or right? executives or whatever. And they've got to yeah. be it, part of 45 minutes here and there. Exactly. So you look at that person's schedule. They literally go from calls with yeah. different people all day long. And then you, if you're smart, we would insert some think time, like mm. process your HR benefit form or just decompress. But to schedule that out for two weeks to make sure that it was meaningful virtually, yeah, I found it to be it was exhausting, it's daunting, and it's exhausting for the candidate too. The 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 likelihood that they retain what you've put the time and effort in to train right. is highly unlikely. Yeah, and, and onboarding is always done better when you're done when you onboard the team. Right? Mm-hmm. Companies hire four or five people in the spring, yeah. four or five people in the fall, and you onboard with them. You build a relationship. Mm-hmm. They're going into accounting. It's like your your graduating class. You, exactly. you enter together. Yeah. You kind of maybe you go have a beer afterwards, mm-hmm. or a drink, or a cup of coffee, whatever your thing is that night, and you kind of go, "Well, I met with Joan today. Joan yeah. was awesome. I spent four hours with Bob. He's an actor. old man. Murphy is a piece of yeah. work, right? But then you at least coalesce. Yeah. You got some bonding, and then you can kind of decompress and go in the next day. Absolutely. And being physically at the headquarters, right? When you guys finish your building, it'll be fun to go in there and pick up the vibe and the energy. You can't do that virtually. Yeah. And it's so hard. I mean, many companies have onboarded people that they've never met, right? And I think if if the companies that do it right, and even virtually, let's say if I start my job on Monday, on Friday, I get a box from the company. Mm-hmm. The Friday before. The Friday before. And my laptop's in there. If I get one, mm-hmm. I've got, uh, and, and by the way, there are a lot of people who go, don't send me the t-shirt. I'm not going to wear it. Right. No, but if you got a high quality garment, right. And you got, um, a legitimate Yeti that you're going to use every day. You got something that you're like, this is, this is, by the way, this is classy. Yeah. The experience of opening up by the box was, was classy. It wasn't just thrown together. Like if there was some thought to it, you see people that do that take pictures. Like I got oh, yeah. this kit, right. Immediate branding, immediate brand impression, immediate recruiting, branding. recruiting pipeline starts right. to build based on that. And then what I found is really important is that the last call of the day should be with your hiring manager mm-hmm. every day, 15 minute check-in. Hey, what'd John, you think? How was your How day? Was process? Yeah. yeah. What can we do better? Yep. There's something we're not offering you and really mean it. And then the next time you do a new hire, you go back and say, here's the notes I got from my onboarding with John. We yeah. sucked at these three areas. Let's fix that. Yep. Right. So it, 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 it's connecting that brand. Now, when I, when I place a candidate um, and I have one in my car, cause I haven't been able to get to the UPS store. I send the every, candidates in your car. It, yeah. I, have, I keep a candidate. <laughs> in my car 
You know, John, you never know when an opportunity comes Was that up. the thump in your trunk? I heard something pounding in your trunk. I was like, well, is that a bowling ball rolling around or what's in there? By the way, it's I don't ever go without one. Like if I play someone, throw them out of the trunk. Yeah, you never trunk. know when somebody's going to say yes. You just got to be like, I got a candidate in my trunk. Here you go. I'll drive down the street and say, do you know how to use Salesforce? Get in. So you <laughs> flew him here. You flew him here, put him in the rental car. Exactly. Wow, that's awesome. But I mean, that is intimate partnerships right there if I've ever heard of it. It is. Well, I send every uh, candidate that I place uh, a Crucible branded Yeti coffee mug. Love it. And, you know, and I, I want them when they have, and by the way, when, I, when I'm going after a client, I've done this before. Um, I have a customer I'm still trying to land, and he knows who he is if he's listening to this. And I sent him one of, the, one of my mugs, and I said, hey, just so you know, tomorrow morning when you wake up and realize that your current recruiting process isn't getting it done, pour yourself a nice warm cup of coffee in this mug and know that I'm here. I love it. I love it. I still haven't got him. I love, but you, but you know, every time he goes into that cabinet and grabs it, you know, he's got, he's got the one from Costa Rica. He's got the one from Vegas. You know, the one that says "best dad ever." Yeah, and then he sees yours. The Vegas best dad ever. Yeah, exactly. It's awesome. Vegas, Costa Rica, Vegas, best dad ever. Those don't all go together. It's not there. <laughs> so I got a story like that. We um we put together work with a client up in Wisconsin, family business, third generation, and um multiple locations. Get to talking with the owner, third generation, come to find out, avid golfer, loves to golf, da 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 da. So what kind of clubs you swing in, what kind of bag you use. So on and so forth. We put the deal together, came back, sourced a golf bag that was in the colors of their uh, of their organization, put their company logo on it. But then I went to the agreement that he had signed and I actually had his signature, signature. digitized um, into a thread count. And we had his um, his logo or excuse me, his, underneath his logo, we had his signature. Um, yes embroidered on there Badass. and then his name in in print on the bag sent that with a with a thank you card and that just completely changes now folks go why would i why would i make a 250 dollars investment into saying thank you to a client oh my god well how do you like anytime somebody calls to say hey look we'd like to earn your business can we have an appointment he's not even taking the appointment Right. So as long as we can maintain high service levels, as long as we can maintain our brand promise, as long as we can be there and do all the things that we naturally do at Club Colors already, mm-hmm. that little thing right there that I don't know if he uses the bag, it might be something he just puts in his office. Right. Now, if he puts it in his office as a legacy piece, even better, even better, because now I know it's not sitting in his trunk. Right. He's actually turning to look out the window, sees the golf bag, remembers who gave it to him. And all of a sudden now you lock in the retention, you at least destroy the likelihood of them taking another call. So to your point, we see more and more of an importance of promotional gifting typically was to create attention. It was to an employee or for a trade show. Remember us. There should be a lot more of it to thank the clients that you have currently exactly. to encourage them to remember the strength of the partnership. Oh yeah. There is something so powerful to saying when you start a call with a client to go, man, we've done a lot of great work together over the years, haven't we? Mm-hmm. And making them validate that. Oh yeah. There's, there's, it's so hard to get a client back once you've lost them. Absolutely. And um, it's not an expensive gesture. If you think how much money you're investing in that customer to service them and take care of them, 
the, the dollar a month will be required for that gesture to be meaningful. And again, it has to be a thoughtful gift. You literally got to think to yourself, yeah. will they use it? Will they appreciate it? Or will they throw it away? And if the answer is they'll throw it away, then don't do it, right? Because they'll know it. I can throw this, this away. This is what you gave me? It's a token gesture. Yeah. I get it, right? You sent this to a thousand. Everybody gets this. Yeah. No. And so we recommend is I put in that mug, I put a handwritten note. I love it. It says, hey, they're so excited that you're on board their team. I'm really happy for you. And you're now part of the Crucible family. That's what it signed. Mm -hmm. And because you never know where they're going to be. And I truly enjoyed meeting them, right? You, when you when I talk to a hundred people for a role and you get down to the one person that gets it, you know, there are five other people that were just as qualified. Mm -hmm. Could be a number of things that the reason they get that, but they're still rock stars. Yeah. You got to maintain those relationships as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So I always like to kind of, uh, conclude the show. We're getting to that point because I know you folks have a short attention span. We're going to chop this up into clips. And if you made it this far in the podcast, Pete and I love you. And we kind of question your, your, um, Hobbies. Yeah. Maybe you need some better hobbies. Yeah. Raise the bar. Maybe like, I don't know, CrossFit, golf, go pray. I don't know. Do something. But if you're listening to this this long, it's not an indication of how good we are. There's probably something that you need to have looked yeah, at. You got a lot of free time. Nonetheless. Thank you. Uh, but I always like to end with this. Give us words of inspiration. What are the words of inspiration that you tell yourself, that you tell your beautiful children, that you discuss with your wife? What are, what are some of the key uh, principles of inspiration that you, that you walk on? We already know when you wake up in the morning, you immediately go to that faith yeah. element, which I think is part of the reason why you are so put together mentally, physically, and faith-wise. What inspiration would you leave our listeners with? Um, never stop learning. And there was a period of time when I was running one of my first startups for five years, I got so busy and deep into the business that I stopped, I stopped seeking mentors. I stopped reading. I was just trying to survive. Yeah. And I, re I just realized I wasn't improving. I wasn't helping the company. I wasn't helping my family. And I had some mentors, some really good people in my life who kind of took me up the side and said, Hey dude, you know, you got more to offer. You get your head out of your ass. So um, I'm constantly, and my kids know this, my wife knows this. Um, there's been times I've been a good dad, a bad dad, good husband, bad husband, you know, um, just wasn't my best person. And if you recognize that and learn and acknowledge it, I want my kids and my, my, my kids to feel the same way. It's okay to make a mistake. If your intentions are good, a mistake's okay. So think about your intentions, right? Um, why would you do this? Is it good? Would it harm anybody? And I, you know, I don't want that to sound trite, but... Um, I have a really open, honest dialogue with all three of my kids. They can roll their eyes at me and say, geez, dad, that was really bad. But they know if I tell them, even my boys in soccer, if they walk off the field and I, if I think they didn't give it their all or the effort was, they're going to hear it. They're going to hear it. But if they walk off the field and I go, holy shit, you just kick some ass out there. They know it's true. Oh, that, that, that resonates deeply with them. So they get the truth from me. I get the truth from them. And I have two lazy buttons, or two really bad um, hot buttons, laziness and dishonesty. Mm -hmm. I just don't jive with either one of them. Yeah. I don't jive with lazy people, and I don't deal with well with people that aren't honest. And that, those are probably my two biggest things. If you can get those two under control, you can build lasting relationships. Those two bad qualities tend to coincide. They do. It's a, it's a, they, yeah. they, they walk together mm -hmm. in, in a very, at a very slow pace. They do. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my switch will flip pretty quickly if you don't yeah. have those coming come in front of me. So 
Absolutely fantastic. Pete, it's been an absolute pleasure. And um, as we always talk about, you know, I just want you to remember that you, sir, have been in the club. Yeah, buddy. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We truly appreciate it. You've been in the club, powered by Club Colors. Our special guest, Pete Durant. Please follow him on LinkedIn. Follow his organization and make sure that you stay in touch with him because he's going to be going next level with Alex B. Sheridan. It's going to be off the hook. Fantastic. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Fossa Apparel and SalesCast. Can't do it without you. Absolutely love you. Cheers. Be well. Have a great day. Ah, yes. In the Club, powered by Club Colors, is proud to be sponsored by Fossa Apparel. All guests on In the Club will receive a gift from Fossa Apparel. Check them out at fossaapparel.com.